welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I talked with our colleague, Jamison Wetmore, about the history of autonomous vehicles. Now, some of you may remember Jamie from an episode we put out in November of 2016 uh, that was called The Trouble with Experts. Well, today we were not picking apart the problems that are intrinsic to the practice of science and the practice of technology, but rather really digging into a fun little facet of Jamie's historical research that has to do with the history of autonomous vehicles. You know, we've been talking about autonomous vehicles quite a bit recently. The last episode, we talked with Di Bowman about vehicle safety and autonomous vehicles. And here in Arizona, we have these, uh, quote, self-driving Uh, Volvos uh, that Uber has been operating and we talked about the accident that happened that was actually uh, the fault of a human driver and another car and so this is very much on the forefront of our mind and we can't get away from it in the news so we really enjoyed this chance to dig into the past and maybe or maybe not get a picture of where we might be going in the future. Before we dig into the episode As always, thank you for joining us on the Future Out Loud podcast. We love to hear from you. So you can find us on Twitter at Future Out Loud or on our Facebook page at Future Out Loud. You can subscribe to the Future Out Loud podcast on iTunes or wherever you find your fine podcasts. You could also tell your friends that you like listening to Future Out Loud. We would love to have more subscribers. And if you're so moved, we would love for you to give us a rating in the places that you find us on the interwebs. Thank you so much for listening. And now on with Jamie Wetmore. Hi, Jamie. Good morning. Hi, Andrew. Good morning. So, Jamie, you know all of the things about the history (laughs) of autonomous vehicles. So lay it on us. I don't know all of the things. I think you do. I think I know some of the things. You have a deeply embedded secret history going back to the 1950s. Is that no? Correct? Oh, before that, 1930s. 1930s. What? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this whole idea of automating cars is not a new one. Oh, um, I'm pretty sure somebody in Silicon Valley just had that idea like five years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what didn't they know? So yeah. So believe it or not, I have been looking at the history of automated vehicles for about 20 years now. Wow. And the earliest instance that I've found so far, and I'm not saying it's the earliest because no historian should ever say that. <laughs> um, uh, so it's 1939 uh, okay. at the New York World's Fair, the General Motors Futurama exhibit was the hit of the fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, huge numbers of people all across the country, everybody's talking about it, made newsreels all over the place. And uh, So Norman Bel Geddes was uh, a designer hired by General Motors, and uh, so his cooperation with some of the, the GM people developed what the highway of the tomorrow would look like. Okay. And it had such amazing features such as on-ramps and off-ramps and limited access highways, so you didn't actually have to slow down to change the roads you were on. And the idea of motoring at 60 miles per hour was really exciting to people. 
so this was just before the U.S. entered the war when we restricted speeds. So... Yeah, no, actually, the, the speed limit restrictions... I don't, did we restrict during World War II? I thought we restricted during World War II. We, we restricted certainly during the oil crisis in the 70s. Well, so the reason I say this is my grandmother... Yeah. Um, I remember my grandmother telling me that after the war, um, they lifted speed limit restrictions, and she had never gone that fast, or oh, didn't recall going that fast sure. in a car before, and it was very scary. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah, so probably, probably. Um, but the whole idea of a limited access highway didn't exist in the United States okay. in 39. So this mm -hmm. thinking was coming along at the same time as self-driving vehicles or autonomous vehicles. Right, yeah. Um, and and this was this just a model that they were building or a conceptual thing at the time? Yeah, so very conceptual. It's just a model. Um, and I, I love the way they envisioned the technology at the time. So there were, when, when, you, when you have an automated car, you have to make sure you follow the road mm -hmm. and um, go the right speed. Mm -hmm. you know, so those are the two basic, basic things. You know, there's avoiding deer and things like that, but that, that gets more complicated. Um, so to keep the right speed, the argument was, and again, no prototypes, but this was the vision, was to be radio linked to other vehicles mm -hmm. okay. so that you could actually make sure you were communicating with them and didn't crash into them. Right. Okay. Now, to make sure you didn't fly off the road, they designed the road special to ensure that. Mm -hmm. And so the roads, I'm going to try to use this without using my hands because you can't this see is that so on the podcast. Because this so good for radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, the roads were sort of little, um, like water slides, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and they curved at the edges. And so if your car started to veer to the left a little bit, mm -hmm. it would go up an incline, which would f gravity would force it back down. It's into a little the bit chute. like a toboggan run, where if yeah. you go up the yeah. side, you come down again. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And that's what our racetracks look like now. Uh, a little but bit. Is that for they're, a different they're banked reason? a little bit, but yes. You know, well, the racetracks are banked so that you can go faster around the corner. Right, so it's for the opposite reason. <laughs> yes. The same yeah. design for the opposite reason. Okay. Similar, yes. Similar, yeah. So yeah. as you go up that bank, you'll automatically begin to come down. Gravity right. will pull you down again. But it's interesting because most people don't talk about the automated vehicle part of the Futurama mm -hmm. because it's only mentioned very briefly. Basically, you were on a ride through and you looked down at this new amazing highway system. Mm -hmm. People had never seen high speed on and off ramps before. Mm -hmm. and so okay. that's what really That was the exciting thing. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Well, that, I guess, seems more attainable. Right, so if you're gonna spend your, you know, nineteen thirty nine dollar getting excited about something, <laughs> it makes sense to me that, you know, World Fair attendees would get excited about something that they could put themselves in, they could envision themselves in. Right. Okay. So the other the other great thing, and this is the first instance, um, starting in nineteen thirty nine, automated highways are always twenty years away. So the vision yeah. in 1939 is that this would be realized in 1960. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's the voiceover that says, does this seem amazing or strange? But this is the world of 1960, right? I mean, that's the <laughs> justification. Which turned out to be amazing and strange. And so when the different little instances of automated highway promotion and development come up, it's mm -hmm. always 20 years away. Mm. Um, and that's through, true, in fact, you know, the last major event that I participated in with automated highways was in 1997, oh. when I rode in several automated vehicles um, around the streets of San Diego. Oh. 
the huge big government corporate sponsored automated vehicle extravaganza okay demo 97 and again it's always 20 years away it's always 20 years away well so even now and we've got all of this excitement about um, self-driving or semi-self-driving vehicles on the road and yet pundits in the industry say okay that that's interesting but before it really takes hold and it becomes mainstream we're talking about 20 years right is that because 20 years is far enough away that like you're not going to be in the job anymore it's somebody right. else's responsibility right, exactly is that the reason that we keep benchmarking at 20 years I think that's part of it I think part of it is we think we're pretty good at predicting five years out mm-hmm uh, and you get to 10 years, it's more and more difficult. When you get to mm-hmm. 20, you can almost say, well, anything goes at 20. So then you can look back 20 years and be like, guys, 20 years ago, thriller. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so is that what it is? So you can sort of uh, avert uh, any real need to claim responsibility for yeah. your well, future past? Th- there's also, you know, time for magical technological breakthroughs. Oh, sure. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Something is going to be invented. Yeah. But talking about invention, what really fascinates me about this, this this sort of thought at the moment, maybe coming out of Silicon Valley, maybe coming out of other places, that the only reason that we have self-driving vehicles looking like a reality at the moment is massive advances in artificial intelligence, in mm-hmm. LiDAR technology, and in integrated circuit technologies. Mm-hmm. And yet, they were using technologies to develop these um, presumably, even before people were talking about these highly sophisticated technologies. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. So, so, so the vision, the 1939 one is a vision. Mm-hmm. They're not actually mm-hmm. developing technology. It's a design exercise, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the 50s, General Motors is building and running cars that drive by themselves without a person behind a wheel. Right? Really? So say more things about that. Yeah. So General Motors in the mid 50s partnered with RCA, mm-hmm. and they started developing. Um, a technology, the first thing they did was develop what they called the Unicontrol, mm-hmm. which is basically a joystick for a car. Oh. Um, but the really, the really useful thing is that it combines all the directional inputs into one control. I, I, so I've just got to stop you there. I'm, yeah. I'm envisaging teenagers with a joystick in, instead of a steering wheel moving yeah. around the road. Well, right. And it is scary. Yeah, or yeah. Uh, like one or two seater airplane. Right? I'm envisioning right. the guy with like the ear flaps driving the open cockpit. But, but at least with an joystick. airplane, if you veer to the left or the right, unless you're really unlucky, you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but once you combine the controls, it makes it easier for a computer to take Right. Over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so all of those visions were really focused on this idea of how much intelligence do you put in the car mm-hmm. and how much intelligence do you put in the road mm-hmm. so it's really this question of vehicle versus infrastructure interesting and a lot of the focus at the time was um, embedding things in highways so that the mm-hmm. cars could follow them right and so this general motors exercise in the 50s embedded a wire into the middle of the road and magnets on the car could read where the wire was and track it, and that would be your steering. So where was this uh, magical wire located? Like, in what part of the country? In what part of the country? So, so General Motors has a number of proving grounds across okay. the U.S., and so actually I don't know which one it was, okay. except the pictures I've seen of it. Um, so one of the big General Motors proving grounds was actually here in Arizona. 
Oh, sure. It's actually in East Mesa, mm -hmm. which they just shut down, I think, about five years ago. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but every picture I've seen usually has grass in the background, so I'm pretty sure this would have been done in Michigan. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. That yeah, would make sense. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, they made some small little scale model versions, which they practiced with, but then they built full model versions, um, and the mm. vehicles have no steering wheels. Wow. Um, and you actually... Andrew just, like, perked up. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, so, I, I, this fascinates me, both because um, people were doing this decades before the current generation mm -hmm. thought it would be a cool idea to have cars without steering wheels. Yeah. Um, but also, I, to me, I think this shows my age, it's a beautiful reminder of what we could do with analog electronics. Before we went yeah. digital, yeah. you could have beautifully finessed control over mm -hmm. systems like this. Yeah. Absolutely. And we forget that too easily. So there's the technology development part, but then there's also the promotion. Mm -hmm. And so at this time, uh, we were so the 50s, there aren't any major world's fairs in the United States. So General Motors has to make its own. Mm -hmm. So they invented the Motorama, mm -hmm. which was basically a number of buses that they drove around and they'd set up shop in the middle of a city and they'd open up the doors for you know a week or something like that. And they'd show off concept cars, and they'd show mm -hmm. off the latest Chevys, and the Corvette would be shown to everybody, mm -hmm. and this oh, sort of thing. So interesting. And so, so a series of concept cars that they created were the Firebirds, mm -hmm. and most of those were designed either with the idea that they would be automated, or with actually the technology in them. So mm -hmm. I think Firebird two and three actually had the little readers that could follow magnets in the road. Right. Wow. Um, and so these were, you know, crazy design exercises like. You know, they basically look like rocket ships with wheels. Sure. Um, so they're there to get the public excited about General Motors design, but also mm -hmm. to begin to expose the public to this idea of cars that would drive themselves. Yeah. So you mentioned magnets in the road. So I, I presumably at some point there's a transition from putting wires in a road to actually embedding magnet studs. Right, right. So um, there's not a huge amount that happens there's a, um, in the 60s, but um, the next major event is with the, let's see if I can get this right, the 1991 Intermodal Surface Transportation Efficiency hmm. Act. Really? Uh, <laughs> that's right. So it was an act of Congress? This, this is, is a federal? Yeah, a federal act of Congress. Back yeah. when Congress was acting and not, not acting. Well, so so this, is a, this is a law they still pass. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the major law that funds highway construction. It's still on books. Oh, right. Across the well, it, no, it gets renewed every okay, five right. years. Every five years, so. okay. Yeah. Um, and they change it, and they've got a, it, so IS, it was I-S-T-E-A, so ICE-T, which is a great acronym. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and so ever since then, it's been a struggle to come up with a better acronym. I think the next one was called NEXT-T. Um, <laughs> so anyways, you have um, s snuck into this bill, which is billions upon billions of dollars of bills, because this is what pays to, f this is the bill that funds all the repair and construction of our highways, internet, mm -hmm. uh, inter interstate highway system. So we're talking, I'm trying to think of the time, it was something like, it was $50 billion a year or $50 billion over five years, I can't remember, but okay. it's probably $500 billion. Mm -hmm. That's um, right Snuck into that bill at the 11th hour by a staffer on the hill was a $100 million project to fund the development and promotion of automated vehicles. Hmm. Interesting. I've never been able to get out of people the exact name of that person. <laughs> okay. Right? But it's very clear that there's a number of people who know who that person was. <laughs> um, and that required the, the creation by the Department of Transportation 
a research program mm -hmm. to look into automated vehicles and to do a major public demonstration within five or six years. And did they? And they did, and mm -hmm. that, that was what led to Demo 97 the, uh, in San Diego in August of 1997, which was you know the first time I got to ride in an automated vehicle. Wow. And there were, they sort of invited people from across the country who were working on this, but General Motors was sort of spearheading most of it. Mm -hmm. And so I got to be in a, in a Buick that was electronically linked to six other Buicks as we sped down the uh, Interstate 5 in San Diego. Um, so two things were happening there. There were magnets embedded in the road. Mm -hmm. Okay. And these cars were following those magnets. And they were also electronically tethered, as they said, okay. using should know the exact technology if it was radar or lasers, I don't remember right now. Um, but to keep a proper distance between mm -hmm. the vehicles. Okay. And the whole idea was that, it's interesting, nobody talked about safety in 97. Mm. Everybody mm. talked about this word called throughput. Yes, mm -hmm. how many mm -hmm. vehicles presumably you get through yeah. as fast as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And the whole idea was we have built our syst highway system to capacity. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to add lanes or even roads runs into environmental, social, and political s difficulties that are almost impossible to surmount. Well, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, if we can get more cars on a given amount of s road moving at a high speed, then mm -hmm. that will... That is and, the and it makes perfect sense. Sure, I, sure. And if you look at how inefficient current systems are with human drivers and how you can increase that efficiency. So it makes perfect sense except for one thing. Which is? Which is that traffic jams are not caused by cars on highways. Right. right. They're caused by cars getting off of highways. Yes. That's right. Or but onto highways. Yes. Right. Well, and so if you're in the US, now if you're in the UK, <laughs> motorways are just parking lots, or yeah. the highways, freeways right. are just parking lots. So. But, but the reason they're parking lots is because people can't get on or off. Right, that's right. true. Right. Yes. And so what they began to realize is you could get more cars on the highway, but you couldn't get more cars on or off the highway. Right, right. 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 And so this became the, quote, last mile problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that if you were really going to succeed in automated highways, you had to automate the surface streets as well. Mm -hmm. okay. And that becomes a much more expensive, complicated proposition yep. when mm -hmm. you're talking about embedding technology in the infrastructure. Yes. So I have a question about the six tethered Buicks, yeah. which now I know that Buick has an earned reputation of being, you know, the car of the, you know, World War II veteran, really, um, in, in many ways. And they, they really peak out. It's rare to see a Buick on the road after, say, 5.30 p.m. because they're done with their early bird special and <laughs> it's the end of the day. But my question is, with these six tethered Buicks and they were speeding down the highway, were there other cars? Like, was the highway open <laughs> at this time? Like, we, and, and one of the things that we've talked about several times on this podcast now is um, the problem of human drivers and automated yeah. vehicles or autonomous vehicles. Yeah. So did, was that part of your experience? No, this was, this was a very controlled experiment. Got it. Uh, Okay. I shouldn't, it was not an experiment. It was a very controlled demonstration. Okay. Mm -hmm. They were on the HOV lanes of I-5 in San Diego. So I-5 was open, but the HOV lanes were yeah. solo to these And cars. the HOV lanes on I-5 in San Diego are completely separate. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. There is, um, it's not just a line between the two, and it's not even just a physical barrier between the two. It's several physical barriers and lots mm -hmm. of space. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. so, um, so no, this was... 
no other vehicles were allowed, and in fact, um, you know, in any given run, they mm -hmm. would have several sets of automated vehicles go, and they would have literally several miles between them. So I see. They, there was there was nothing else around those seven. So, so they okay. so they were really solving the problem of how do you get a car to drive itself along a, a fairly sort of free and open piece of road, but they didn't solve the problem of what happens when you put humans in the, the right. mix and, and other cars and other right. obstacles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. So in 97, there are sort of three major problems that need to be solved. The one is, how do you integrate automated vehicles and non-automated vehicles? Mm -hmm. Or do you do it at all? Mm -hmm. um, the second one was the sort of last mile problem that yep. I was just mm -hmm. mentioning. And the third one is, who pays when things go wrong? Right. right. Um, Which sounds remarkably familiar to today. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So. OK. And so to go back to your question, why Buick? Mm -hmm. Uh, there was there was a press release by Buick at the time saying that the Buick, I think it was a LeSabre, was mm -hmm. the perfect car to automate. And I did some research, and the only thing I could find is that it had a really good-sized trunk that you needed a lot of electronics to right. sit. Oh, sure. Right. And so I think the size of the trunk computer. might have been the reason right. why Buick right. So interesting. Yeah. So, so now what happened between the 1990s and a few years ago when all of a sudden it looked like we might be really close to fully autonomous vehicles? <clears throat> so... So the revelation for me in 97 was Carnegie Mellon's project. And Carnegie Mellon brought us bus, basically a transit bus, mm -hmm. that they had automated, but it didn't rely on anything in the infrastructure. Right. But mm -hmm. not quite. So it was run on cameras. It was basically a robotic bus okay. right, that could drive itself. Um, and the cameras would follow different markings on the road that were already there. Sure. And so they could, the, the buses could determine where the, red, the yellow lines were, where the white lines were. Mm -hmm. And in cases where there were no lines, it evidently had the technology to be able to follow the oil droppings left by the previous vehicles. Wow. <laughs> um, so if you had, if you had these uh, sort of linear routes, it right, could follow right. those. You can imagine okay. the panic as you run out of oil droppings. <laughs> right. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Well, I talked to some of the guys that were there. Of course, it's all grad students that are running these things. Um, and they said something like it worked 97% of the time <laughs> right. on mm -hmm. their drive from Pittsburgh to uh, San Diego. <laughs> and the particular thing they ran into was when they went under an overpass. Oh, because there's not the light to supply the cameras. Right. Well, so the camera took time to adapt to the change in light. Right. Oh, right. Okay. And so okay. during that period. Yeah, that few seconds of uncertainty. And they, they did say that they would immediately put their hands very close to the steering wheel every time mm -hmm. they headed towards an overpass. So, but, but this was the brilliant thing about the Carnegie Mellon approach, is you didn't have to redesign the infrastructure. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what I think we've seen since 97 is large abandonment of thinking about the infrastructure. Right, mm -hmm. just moving to the vehicles. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and of course, within... What is the first DARPA challenge? Is that 99 or 2000? I thought it was early 2000s, but maybe yeah. it was 99. Yeah. And the, the first DARPA challenge is really, really funny. I think the farthest car made it about 50 feet. Maybe That's right. But it, it was off-road. So yeah, yeah, it yes. was off-road. Yes, and then the next year, it was like night and day difference. Right. Yeah, yes. yeah. And so all of our, not all of ours, but most of the effort now is going into designing cars that are autonomous that don't require interaction with anything. 
Yes, mm -hmm. and, and that is very clearly where control systems have just es escalated beyond anybody's dreams. Everything from the sensors with LiDAR to the integration to the, the machine learning systems that can help learn how you actually navigate around obstacles. Right. Yeah. But I'm guessing there's also been some sort of vision as well. So I, what really fascinates me here is, yes, you have had the technologies that have developed, but somebody had to both work out how to integrate those technologies and have the vision to say, this is the time that we're going to do yeah. this. Right. Yeah, and so yeah, I have a theory on this right. as well. Um, you know, I've studied the automobile companies over the years and how they respond to safety issues and new technologies, and they tend to be pretty conservative. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, they tend to know that they're in a pretty good position, but you know, cars crash all the time, mm -hmm. um, billions of dollars are lost, and car companies get sued and lose on a very, very small percentage of that time. Mm -hmm. yep. And so the desire for them to take on more responsibility is always something they do very, very grudgingly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, usually the cases end up at the Supreme Court if the mm -hmm. government tries to convince them to do that. Mm -hmm. So I really think it took somebody from outside the car industry to sure. really do this latest right, push. Right. Um, well, and if we look at, you know, at at Tesla and Elon Musk, that was really outside of the car industry. Oh, yeah. Same yeah. with Google. Yes. Yeah. So you've got these disruptive um, yeah. companies and corporations coming in that have really changed the landscape. Yeah. And, and either willing to take risks that mm -hmm. the more conservative companies mm -hmm. won't, or unaware of the risks. <laughs> well, right, and I think that <laughs> brings us back risks. to the Carnegie Mellon grad students who, they're grad students, so I get where they would think, we're just going to drive our, you know, brand new untested bus across the country. <laughs> so, so, what so, could go wrong? So actually what I love know? about that story, I'm typical engineering grad students, 97% success, success rate, great. <laughs> but what they forget yeah. about is that that 3% might actually involve death and other things. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. whatever, they're 25. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and the one thing, the one image that always sticks in my mind from that San Diego demonstration is whenever anybody drove by or whenever anybody took a photo, everybody had to stick their arms out of the window to show for sure Look, no that they were yes. not actually <laughs> holding onto the wheel. Right. Interesting. So we've now observed these Volvos, the, the Uber the Volvo, uh, yes. Volvos driving around. And I have been personally distracted because I am looking to see, I, like, does the millennial in the driver's so, seat so have his hands you, on you, the You and me both. I yeah. just, it, so, so actually there are two things that, that happen with these self-driving cars around here in, in Tempe. One is the temptation to sort of draw next to them and look over just to see whether the person's got their hands yes, on or not. Yes. So that's distracting. <laughs> and then wait, the, wait, 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 don't leave us hanging. Do they have their hands on the I haven't that? figured it you, out it, yet. It's actually really hard to tell. You have to take your eyes off the road for I so long. I don't want to be the tell. jerk who crashes into the Volvo. But, but, There's but, already one of those. But then you've got goodness. my wife's attitude, which is mm -hmm. when she sees one of these cars, she is desperately tempted to try and put it off its game. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a handkerchief out the window. Which is probably not a good idea. That's fantastic. <laughs> Can we edit that bit out so that your wife doesn't get arrested anymore? <laughs> right. no. Well, she hasn't actually done it. But yeah. it <laughs> Intent is not the same. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it is I mean, sort of going back to this sort of sudden switch where you've you've had this massive interest in actually applying the, these technologies, and I and I think you're right. It is people outside the, the industry um, that see things in a different way and maybe understand risk in a different way. Yeah. Um, so I I don't know whether it's fair to say that maybe they're not aware of some of the risks, but maybe they're not sort of so cautious 
that they they think that if anything bad happens, that they've got a way of actually solving that and moving on fairly fast. Yeah, you know, there's there's a recurring thing in our society that would be really great if we could figure out how to fix it. Mm -hmm. um, we do get to points where groups of engineers really understand the risk of a situation, right? Mm -hmm. And then they retire. Yep. <laughs> right. And yep. then the next generation doesn't understand it. And we saw this with airbags. Right. Mm -hmm. So the engineers are really hesitant to bring out airbags in the 70s because they know how potentially dangerous mm -hmm. they're going to be. Yep. In the mid-80s, a new, new generation of engineers just starts popping these things out. Yep. And some of the basic concerns that the engineers of the 70s had were not addressed by the engineers of the 80s. And right. they caused mm -hmm. the problems that were predicted. And so... You know, but uh, you know that tacit knowledge, that sort of innate understanding. That, that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Although I, I think you could argue that that's part of the innovation process. Sometimes you need <laughs> to pull away from risk a little bit yeah. in order to explore the future. Sure. Um, but sure. it's always this tension about sort of whether you stay where you are and don't move forwards because the future looks too scary, or whether you sort of close your eyes and move forwards and then sort of fix whatever happens. And we know there are bad things that are going to happen, but hopefully you also work out how to get to a good place. Okay. And the news that came out yesterday was that um, Tesla is now worth more on the stock exchange than Ford. Really? And then GM, I think they crossed yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so that, I, to, to, to give props to, mm -hmm. to Elon Musk, that is pretty impressive. Sure. And understanding, too, that Tesla absorbed SolarCity and absorbed the yeah. battery stacks right. and yeah. all that thing. But still... But still, but, but still, they're, they're on the the up in terms of Absolutely. they haven't had a major incident. Um, so, so in my my books, a major incident is one that is so catastrophic that it seriously impacts the, the company's ability to, to operate. That's um, so they they yeah. haven't been burnt in that way. So they're still like the teenager who thinks that they're indestructible. Sure. Well, <laughs> and I think the thing was that they put they surpassed some number of cars that they put on the road in the past year or two, which was some astronomical number, and they haven't rolled out their, quote, affordable right, car right. yet. Um, though I am assured that that will be happening imminently, <laughs> and there were pictures of I've seen it. the pictures. Yeah. Yes. yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but when you, know, when you compare, compare the, the products, what is it, um, you know, with General Motors and Ford, you're counting in the fives of millions mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. you're yeah. talking about you know we're talking tens of thousands it, it, it's yeah. still small yeah but, it yeah. is still small but if you're thinking as an investor you want to think about the future and right yeah yeah so getting back to where we started where mm. are we going to be in 20 years yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so right. that's a good question um yeah where are we going to be in 20 years are we really going to have self-driving vehicles or is this just a bit of a fad I think it's coming. I think it's coming for a handful of reasons. First of all, the baby boomer generation is getting to the point where they're not going to be allowed behind the wheel mm -hmm. anymore. Or at least it would be a very bad idea for them to be behind the wheel. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about myself. Um, I would love to be able to go out to get a gallon of milk by myself when I'm 85 years old. Right, right. And that's the technology that allows you to do it. Yep. Yeah, that yeah. would do it. And, and that kind of demand, I think, is going to start yep. getting more and more. Yeah. Well, and then on the other end of the age spectrum, I hear 
that uh, parents with you know young school age kids are like can't wait till they're autonomous vehicles that they can put their child into and then it will take their child to school for them. Apart from the fact we're also teaching these kids um, computing and coding, <laughs> so right. they'll also be able to hack into the system. They will system. obviously <laughs> hack and right. like yes, about risks as well as benefits. be at the candy yes. store in no time. The the last automated vehicle I was in was in Mazdar City. Right. Yes. Abu Dhabi. UAA. Yeah. And uh, I got on, and it drove me to my destination, and then the door wouldn't open. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the only way for the computer to fix it, and the guy that was riding with me, but unfortunately we didn't have the hacking skills that right. today's mm -hmm. youth have. Mm -hmm. So we had to actually hit a button, go back to where we came from, get out, get back in, and press the button again. So we had to do three lengths in order to get <laughs> right. to the final destination. I love technology. <laughs> <laughs> there was that really brilliant episode of Silicon Valley in the first season. Did you see no. it? Did you watch it? It's a great show. I'm going to just go ahead and plug it for HBO and Mike Judge. Um, it is a great show. And there was um, one episode in the first, towards the end of, I believe, the first season where the guy is in a self-driving vehicle and it uh, did they didn't account for the time change the clock time change mm -hmm. and so the self-driving vehicle he thought was taking him to the airport or something and it ended up taking him to the dock and loading him onto a container ship <laughs> and sending him out into the middle of the Pacific and it there was nothing he could do about right. it so right. you know four days later he like arrives on this the you future know was yeah. set. Yes. so and so I guess and we'll see in 20 years. And I, you know, Jamie, I sort of calculated all of the milestones that you mentioned happened approximately 20 years yeah. apart. So, and the last, you know, big one was 97. So I'm going to call that yep, we're yeah, about 20 right, years. Right. Yep. No, and you know what it is? Part of it is um, those, those demonstrations inspired the next generation. Right. Yeah. So it's the 15-year-old kid that marveled at the Futurama mm -hmm. in 1939 that was involved in the 1955 stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I guess it would be foolish for us to say, where are we going to be in 2037? So we'll just leave it at 2017. And see where we go. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. For more where that came from, including our undergraduate and graduate programs, Check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Mark Van Hare created our music. Ana Lopez is our production assistant. Please subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please tell your friends and let us know what you think on Facebook.